The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com Teams. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link, alongside James Anderson, lead prospect writer for RotoWire.com. And, uh, James, minor league season winding down, but uh, going to be continuing with the prospect pod. Going to be looking at Arizona Fall League rosters next week. Uh, this week, focusing on your latest Farm Futures piece, looking at risers and fallers. But want to start with some the big prospect news of the day, and that's that Corey Seager, the number one prospect left in the minor leagues, got the call up today joining the Dodgers. Uncertain how much he's going to play, though. So is is he a season-long, single-season consideration for you? It's pretty format-dependent for me on, on whether I'd add him in, in single-season leagues. Uh, if it's if it's a weekly lineup league where, you know, you set your lineups and then you roll with that for a week, I don't think he's going to be all that useful just because I think he's, he's kind of just there to sort of spell Rollins, who hasn't had a day off in a while, and to, to spell Turner – um, I mean, they have a they have an AL series coming up where he could be used as a DH, or, or maybe Turner could be used as a DH. But um, yeah, I mean, this isn't like 
you know, Correa or Sano or Conforto or someone like mm-hmm. that coming up. I, I really don't think he's going to get the amount of at bats to really make a big difference. And, and even if he were, I, I think this is going to be kind of a more of a, like an Addison Russell type of development track mm-hmm. than a Carlos Correa type of track where there's going to be some struggles early on and the, the ceiling isn't quite, it's not like out of this world. I think it's mm-hmm. just the, the ceiling of like, you know, a top five, top six, top seven fantasy shortstop, you know, that kind of player. Um, I mean, obviously long term. So? Yeah, well, I think the 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 position is going to be getting kind of flooded um, with with talented players. I mean, he he could probably be uh, top four or five in in most of his peak years, but um, I don't really see him ever approaching a guy like Correa or ever approaching what guys like um, you know Troy Tulowitzki have done in past years. So. Uh, definitely cool to get a get a look at him, but I don't really think he's going to set the world on fire over this final month. You know, a lot of people have said that you know better prospect should be a better player at the major league level than his brother Kyle Seager, who's had a lot of consistency in his career. I mean, another twenty homer season. Do you see him kind of being that kind of consistent guy at the shortstop position, giving you you know twenty twenty homers annually? Yeah, I think um, you know he might be sort of. Johnny Peralta, you know, that, that kind of J- maybe like J.J. Hardy in his prime, those kind of numbers, which is good. Um, I mean, the fact that you'd be getting that from a shortstop instead of a third baseman, I think, is sort of what would give him the edge over his brother. I don't know if the numbers are going to be that much better than his brother's uh, overall numbers. At least I, I don't think fantasy owners should be expecting him to be like a 30 homer guy mm-hmm. with a 290 average every year. I mean, that that could happen in like his, his best year or something like that, but um, I mean, it's it's the floor is what you like a ton with Seager, at least in, in my opinion. I think there's a really high floor here for him to be a, a kind of a surefire top 10 fantasy shortstop for the next decade. That's very nice. Looking forward to finally activating him uh, in, in Staff Keeper League 2. And I'll just say, I mean, right now I completely agree with you. Uh, playing The uncertainty with playing time probably you know, limits his, his upside for the rest of this season, but... Justin Turner has really struggled since his return from the DL. Just 10 for 61, so uh, maybe he's still a little banged up. I think he's got like a pinky mm-hmm. issue right now, but maybe he's still dealing he with He could some, use some issues. You know, some days off, yeah. I'm sure. And they, they definitely want to get everybody kind of in line for the postseason. I mean, they had that big win over the Giants last night with, with Kershaw on the mound and kind of have, a, have some pretty nice separation in that division race. So I think they kind of felt comfortable – uh, starting to to get their ducks in a row for the postseason. Your last farm futures piece of the season, uh, uh, at well, least well on a week yeah. weekly basis. We're, I, I you know I was chatting with some of the people in the comments section of this about that, and it's definitely not the last farm futures piece of the season. But there won't be one next week. There might not be one the week after that. I have I have some NBA stuff I got to get uh, wrapped up for for prep for that sport, and then. Um, you know, we're, we're going to Arizona Fall League, which is going to be awesome. First week in November, I'll be doing some some preview articles uh, before we go down there. And then, you know, a ton of coverage when we get back. So, you know, there might be four or five uh, Farm Futures articles just devoted to Arizona Fall League. But then once once those kind of wrap up, it'll just be just nonstop prep for the, the 2016 Top 200 list, the organizational top tens and all that stuff so you know a lot of stuff will just be kind of uh 
work done behind the scenes after mm-hmm. the AFL coverage wraps up and, and we get ready for 2016. Yeah, once the AFL hits, once that's over, I mean, full into, you know, prep for next year, it's going to be pretty crazy. I'm expecting you to, to provide some Dominican Winter League articles. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I we we should try to get the, the company to let us go watch the Dominican <laughs> oh Winter League. Oh, my goodness, it would be amazing. <laughs> uh, but your latest Farm Futures piece, looking at risers and fallers, from the preseason top 200, but real quick, I just wanted to, you know, we talked about Seager that he got the call, but a couple of notable guys who, you know, we've speculated on who doesn't look like they will get the call. Jose Barrios, Tyler Glass now. Uh, you well, know, with Glass now. Blake Snell. AJ Reed, Noah Mazzara. I'm not going to close the book on any of those guys, really, except for I think the fact that Snell's not up um, suggests that he's definitely not coming up because they're – they're not a contending team to me, really. So, I mean, for him to not be up kind of signifies that his season's going to be over when the minor league season's done. Um, the Twins are, frankly, kind of idiotic for the way they've handled the, so the Barrios thing. I I love what the Pirates do normally, um, but I don't understand the, the Glasnow thing either because, you know, I watched Jeff Locke against uh, the Brewers last night and – you know, the Brewers had no problem just kind of teeing off on him, hitting it into the gaps, and, and he's been giving up, you know, four runs a start, it seems, almost all year long. Like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Like, what – like, I don't care. Like, Glass now could be – could um, be underwhelming. He could be below expectations, and it would still be, at worst, a lateral yeah. move, I think. So He could walk four a sure. start and yeah. still be and, a lot better. And it's, the stuff is there. Right. It just doesn't – really compute especially when you look at his innings it's not an issue like he, he's not in danger of you know blowing away his previous season high in innings uh you could really trans transfer him nicely to the bullpen for the postseason once you get some starts out of him down the stretch as you're trying to catch the cardinals uh, you get to play the cardinals i think maybe a half dozen times before the end of the season really that Every, many? uh well i know they get the weekend series here I, I thought they had another one with them maybe not but uh I mean, you just – every game is so important right now. I mean, when you keep throwing Jeff Locke out there, it's kind of weird. Uh, so, But, yeah, you're right. It doesn't look like Glasnow's coming up. Any, I mean, maybe to join the bullpen at some point, mm-hmm. but, you know, not, not to join the rotation. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, I'm, I just don't – I also don't really know why A.J. Reed's not up for the Astros. Yeah. They're kind of losing ground to, to the Rangers, and they're just kind of – punting first base right now so i mean Completely. and aj reed's sitting there with like 34 homers so yeah kind of weird no we can't bring this guy up it's so weird because they've been aggressive right. in promoting like, guys all season. once you start you know pushing correa up and and pushing mccullers and velasquez and all these mm-hmm. guys up like what's the difference between like yeah i mean the gap between the potential gap at least between reed and guys like luis valbuena could be could be huge yeah, that your window to win has been thrust wide open this year. You might as well try to jump through it because you never know how long those windows are yeah. actually. And you stay know, open. you know, Reed's just going to be up, what, like the third week of the season. He's going to be like next year's Chris mm-hmm. Bryan, probably. And the Pirates, it it really is baffling because, yeah, you mentioned Glass. Now the workload hasn't really been there. It's not much of a concern, and uh, and he's been filthy. Yeah, he's been nasty and. It is frustrating because in past years they've kind of done this too, and so it's not completely like unprecedented right. or anything. They did it with Cole, but but they uh, they weren't you know in the midst of their very division race. Are, I mean, you could easily argue they're the second best team in all of baseball right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's them, 
the Royals and the Cardinals with the, the clear top three records in baseball. Uh, if you're not going to bring a guy like Glasnow up this season, then you're just basically saying you're never, ever going to push a prospect up where it's going to cost you uh, yeah. a year of service time, which, or uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really one way sad. to go about things, but I think it might end up costing them uh, dearly. Like, I feel like if they'd promoted Glasnow, like even like two starts ago, it would have been perfect because now, like, it's not impossible, especially with the games they have remaining against the Cardinals. But trying to make up six games mm-hmm. in, in over a month uh, to avoid that one-game playoff is going to be difficult. And, and basically every single thing we just said about Glass now and the Pirates applies to Berrios and the Twins. Berrios should have been up months ago. <laughs> he should have been up, like, six weeks ago for sure. Yeah. Even with the Pirates, like, I feel like Joe Blanton would be a better rotation option. Yeah. Yuck. I, <laughs> He's been pretty good, but uh, I mean, over Jeff Locke, it's it's baffling to me. But uh, yeah, some a lot of notable guys, you know, not getting the call. I, I uh, there also, also is another wave coming pretty soon of September calls. I expect uh, Robert Stevenson. To sure, sure. That, that yeah, group. and um, uh, drawing a blank, but yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're right. And M- Micah Johnson's going to be Micah up. Johnson. Um, and like like I said, I think I don't think we can rule out uh, Nomar Mazzara getting the call at some point either. Once once the minor league season's done, uh, just given how competitive the Rangers are and how desperate I think they are for for a little help in the corner outfield spots. Hector Olvera, he's up now. Good to see. I don't know how what to expect from him, and even the team says you know. We're expecting him to really kind of be himself next season. This is yeah. just kind of and him getting his legs back. And speaking of Oliveira, I just want to say, you know, watch watch a little bit of Jose Peraza at second base the other night, and he looks just ridiculous out there defensively. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he is there starting, if we see just Seager, Peraza up the middle for them on opening day next year be interesting i know prez is a little banged up right now got like a hamstring issue but uh some cheap speed maybe over the final month but we'll get into your latest farm futures piece looking at the big risers fallers uh from the preseason yeah. top two we don't have to hit on all these guys i mean some of them are more notable than than others but mm-hmm. um this is it, I, this got labeled on twitter as uh me going over my hits and misses this is basically just my misses um <laughs> there's because it's just risers and fallers so i didn't hit on any of these guys because they're way different than they were to start the season hey man i mean Ranking prospects, that's bound to happen. I'm not breaking any. I'm not going to go out there and write an article pointing out all my hits. Like yeah. that's, I don't know how to really write that. Like, oh, I got this guy right. You're not a right. blowhard. You know? Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't think anybody wants to read that either. Yeah, either. no, that's I mean, that's. Congrats not. on the ones yeah. you did. <laughs> yeah, you did no, hit on, I'll just but. say I hit on some. All right, <laughs> now, now let's get to the misses. Well, one guy. I mean, yeah, we don't have to touch on all these guys. But catcher is a position where. You know, especially you know, fantasy wise, there's not a ton of, ton, ton of prospects to, to truly like. Uh, one, your big riser here though, Jacob Nottingham, only 20, but high A. Uh, you know, came over in the Scott Casimir deal. He, he's currently you know, estimated in the top 100 to 125 range. Not ranked coming in. What do you like specifically about Nottingham? I just love the how advanced he is at the plate already. Uh, given his sort of, you know, he's still relatively fresh and professional baseball for, for his position. 
the A's have shown a willingness to deploy bat first catchers uh, recently in guys like Derek Norris, um, you know, John Jaso, uh, Stephen Vogt. I mean, they're he's kind of a perfect A's catcher, and the the trade was you would have maybe liked him to play his games in Houston, but uh, it also just kind of sort of put Nottingham on the the national map. You know, I mean, I own him in a in a pretty deep dynasty league and I don't think you know half the guys probably in that league even knew who he was before that trade and now you know he's a legit commodity now because he was moved straight up for or not straight up but for for Scott Casimir he was the the key piece in that deal so um you know a guy who I think is kind of going to be a fringe top 100 guy going into next year and has the chance to really kind of move up as possibly a top 50 guy by the end of the year yeah and with yeah, the scarcity at the position right. of dynasty leagues. I feel like he's a guy uh, a lot of people, myself included, would probably be targeting uh, next spring. But at, at first base, I mean, the big riser here, A.J. Reed, no right. no surprise here. The, you really uh, surprised everybody with, with his rise mm-hmm. and, and exceptional season this year. Uh, 346, 438, 621 slash line. Pretty incredible. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to see him. I mean, those are like – that's like top – prospect in baseball type of yeah. slash it's like line. Ken Griffey you know. Jr. baseball like if he was like if AJ Reed was just like a third baseman people mm-hmm. would be talking about him as like the next you know Chris Bryant or Miguel yeah. Sano or whatever but uh, for fantasy not that big of a difference these days third base versus first base in terms mm-hmm. of the the guys at the top so you know I'm I'm all about it <laughs> you know I mean just <laughs> Oh, can't man. wait! Can't wait to get him in the big leagues. Really hope to maybe get some shares of him at some point. And you know, if not, if not our staff keeper league two, then maybe another dynasty league. Because yeah, I mean, he's going to be a, a good one. You think he's going to go in the auction? Yeah. in SKL two next year. I think he's going to go for double digits. Double digits. I mean, because he's he's going to play. I would take the uh, you know, I think he's going to play fewer than thirty games in the minors next year. Mm. Um, so you're going to get maybe. 75 percent of a season out of him and yeah i i think you know maybe maybe you push it up to 15 or maybe even like 18 bucks or something in yeah. the action uh, just for comparative reasons uh it, chris bryant went in the 2013 auction i believe for like 12 mm-hmm. schwarber last year for only a couple bucks right? i think for like a for like a buck buck or two oh, i mean he was yeah. such a revelation this year yeah. and just like because i i had him ranked in like the late 20s early 30s or something like that before the season so it's not like he was just this this surefire stud like that was gonna get yeah. to, like i had nobody thought he was getting to the big leagues this year no. like that that just wasn't like something people they were seemed adamant about. too that they'd keep him behind the plate right and he just kind of you know, didn't give him a choice with the way he was hitting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think Reed Reed is much more comparable to what, you know, we saw with Chris Bryan in terms of the expectations going into auctions next year. Yeah, I correct myself. It was going into 2014 season that Chris Bryant was bought. And, but I think, though, with after, uh, you know, Schwarber's emergence this year, somebody also bought uh, – Luis Severino, and he's been mm-hmm. excellent. I think next year p- more people are going to be willing to pay up for prospects and, and wait it out. And we've seen guys just, you know, climb the ladder a bit faster than we're kind of used to mm-hmm. lately. And so, yeah, I mean, if you get – I mean, guys like A.J. Reed, 
Like I think Reed, Jose De Leon, and Blake Snell are going to be the top three available players uh, that aren't owned in our staff Mankata. keeper league next year. Oh, Mancada, obviously. Yeah. Um, Mancada is actually going to be the more interesting case because like De Leon, Snell, Reed—they're all going to be in the big leagues at some point next year. Mancada probably won't be, although like he's Chance. kind of right where you know he's he's very comparable to Carlos Correa, sort of at where he's going to start the year mm-hmm. and how good he was the previous year where you're just not used to guys who start the year at like high a getting to the big leagues that same season. But Moncada's, you know, he's got that kind of talent. So, I mean, who do you think goes for the most out of, out of Reed and Moncada in the option? I think Moncada. Okay. I do. Even though, you know, cause I bought Moncada in staff keeper league one coming into this season just a matter with him of you know at what price can you uh hold him for a year and then you know really profit on him uh moving forward it's it's a legitimate question but i think you know 10 to well, i paid 12 i think but, but i was rebuilding i took over a team that year uh, i was just really looking to get a, a foundation piece but uh, i think 12 to 15 maybe is i reasonable. think i'd be willing to pay more on reed but that's just personal mm-hmm. like I just don't power. I just don't want to commit that much of my auction budget on a guy who's going to spend the majority of the season in the minors mm-hmm. um and and like just my lineup like a, a first baseman makes more sense for me than a second baseman cuz I have Wong locked up but uh you could definitely make a case I mean I I think it'd be interesting to kind of just you know make you know predict going into next year when we get a little closer is Moncada going to reach the big leagues next year cuz it's definitely uh, something that could happen. The other, the other big factor there, obviously, is kind of what they do over the winter in terms of maybe freeing up a spot for him to play. Uh, he's kind of blocked at the moment, but yeah, you know, that kind of works itself out. I think another thing with you know Bancada versus Reed is that you know, you're you've said that you expect your window to open up next year, your window to win, and I think even if Bancada comes up. I don't see him having the kind of impact that Reed would have next year. Reed so. could hit like twenty five bombs mm-hmm. in the big leagues next year. So that's, that's to me that's kind of a a worthwhile investment in a in terms of auction dollars and a guy that's gonna start the year maybe in the minors. Big faller at first base, DJ Peterson, just inside your top fifty coming into the year, but now looking at the possibility of, of being unranked uh, in your final update here, wh- what went wrong for DJ Peterson this year? Uh, he, well, a lot of his production, like we, we always wonder like how much of a guy's production was, you know, high desert for instance, in Peterson's case. And another guy who is a faller, like my big faller for outfield was Gabby Guerrero. Both of those guys put up uh, pretty solid numbers at, at high desert, which is probably the best place to hit in all the minor leagues. And it turns out that both of those guys, could not really produce anywhere near that level uh, in different environments. Um, you know, Peterson did did a, I think he did get a taste of Double A Jackson last year and did okay, uh, but he really kind of crashed and burned this season. And then he you know had a Achilles strain in August, which ended his year right after he was promoted to AAA, which was definitely not deserved. But I think more of kind of a change of scenery move by the Mariners in the, mm-hmm. on that one. Um, he's just a guy who 
you know, he's he's been playing. He'd been playing third base before this season, and obviously, you're not going to play third base in Seattle anytime soon. So they moved him to first base, and that bat at first base just does not seem like one that has a good chance of being even average. Mm-hmm. Uh, get got to hit twenty plus homers and hit for a high average at, at first base to be a useful fantasy piece. And I just don't see. I could see one of those maybe happening, but it would come at the expense of the other one. I think. Well, yeah, I. I've seen this guy be moved in, I think, a couple of leagues this year, and it's just kind of a head-scratcher just given where he's at right now. Um, at second base, you got Forrest Wall as a, a big riser, non-ranked coming in, but looking at the 25 to 50 range uh, this year, is it, you know, is it the team context, power, speed? I mean, 22 steals in 92 games this year, seven homers for a 19-year-old, uh, albeit at low A. I mean, very impressive What's the – is it upside, floor, team context? What is it with this guy? Uh, the more I look at Wall, the more I see a guy who could potentially be like a, a top 20, top 25 fantasy player in time. Uh, just just kind of the way – you know, you look at what a guy like Jason Kipnis does or a guy like, you know, Hunter Dozier – or, I mean, uh, Brian Dozier. There's just – it's not that hard to be one of the two or three best second basemen in fantasy as long as you're you're really good at something uh, and you're decent at everything else. And I think that you're going to see Wall, by the time he gets to Colorado, I mean, he could be doing, you know, 280, two, 290, uh, given the ballpark, and then, you know, 15 to 20 homers with 20 to 30 steals. I mean, it's just – it's a really nice package. It obviously helps that it's it's Colorado, and you know, kind of the clear top second baseman in the minor leagues behind Moncada, in my opinion. Very interesting shortstop, an interesting position in itself, uh, namely because really no notable fallers. I mm-hmm. mean, ton of that was notable very interesting to me. Though. I didn't yeah. really have any predictions going in, but you assume yeah. that at least one guy that I ranked in the top 200 before the season would have had a bad year, mm-hmm. but they all just kind of either blew up or just kind of did enough to sort of keep their spot. Uh, really couldn't think of anybody to, to name there. Uh, lots of risers. It's interesting. Given how, you know, sh- uh, shallow that position really and is at the major league level. What, what I think it is, is, you know, you have, you know the guys who the guys who were in the upper levels of the minors when I ranked them, almost all of them graduated this year. Mm-hmm. You know you got guys like even guys like uh, you know, Kettle Marte um, graduating, and uh, Francisco Lindor has really come on strong. I mean all all those guys that were ranked kind of up there have all have all made it to the big leagues, and then you're looking at guys like Orlando Arcia, Willie Adames, uh, Glaber Torres, who were ranked in the bottom half of the top 200 coming in, all having big years. Uh, should include um, Jorge Mateo in that list there, too. And then Franklin sh- Barreto, would he be? Franklin Barreto, he's at Barreto and Mateo uh, and Adames were guys that just kind of didn't, didn't surprise in one way or the other and they yeah. just kind of moved just held up steady. yeah like you yeah. know when people graduated they'd move up uh arcia surprised i didn't see him really kind of emerging as such a such a sure thing in terms of the 
the overall package. I mm-hmm. thought he would kind of, you know, I've I've always sort of thought he was a lot like Alcides Escobar, um, but it's sort of it's starting to look like maybe that's his floor, uh, mm-hmm. maybe with a with a tad less speed. Um, but there's there's so many young guys like at low A rookie ball that have just really emerged and are going to just be pushing for spots inside the top 100 that that weren't really on the radar coming into the year. Even some veteran guys uh, or some guys that have been around for for a few years like Christian Arroyo, Gavin Ciccini, uh, Trevor Story, who I wasn't all that high on coming into the year but have really kind of emerged. Alex Blandino, another guy who uh, wasn't in the top 200 coming in but a surefire top 200 guy coming out. Yeah, I mean, I think Barreto would have been a pretty big riser if that wrist injury hadn't, you know, ended his campaign. But well, it's it's I was when I was doing the risers and the fallers. Like, if a guy, you know, rose fifty spots or dropped fifty spots, I didn't really count that. Yeah. Um, Barreto, I think I had him in like the eighties coming into the year. Right now, I think he's in like the thirties or forties. So, think, like to yeah. me, that was just kind of natural given all the graduations we've had. Ozeno Albi's on this list. I think he's interesting given the speed, but uh, any ki- any major concerns with him? Is it is it proximity that kind of keeps him? I a just don't lower? think it's all that exciting from a fantasy perspective, um, relative to how much he gets blown up in like non fantasy terms. Um, you know, you're looking at a guy who, like, I would take Jorge Mateo over Ozeno Albi's mm-hmm. any day for fantasy because Mateo's going to steal more bases and has way more upside in the power department and. I think could hit for a similar average. So while Albies is the better defender, uh, I just, I mean, you know, a guy that hits say 280 with 30 steals, that's sure useful, but I mean, he's four years away, three years away. So I don't really see the need to get worked up over that. A guy like Javi Guerra, on the other hand, who I, who I had as the big riser for, for the Red Sox, you know, he's, uh, it says he's 19 here. I actually think he's, 18 no he might be 19 um but i mean he hit more home runs at greenville this year than rafael devers did and you know he's 19 yeah he's 19 years old he plays shortstop he's gonna stick at shortstop uh just crazy upside i mean i'll I'll take the shortstop that could develop into you know 30 homer pop over the shortstop that's gonna steal 30 plus bases any day wow yeah you haven't projected it for your next update on the top 200 as a between 20 and 40 uh, definitely an exciting player. Nick Gordon was a guy who wasn't mentioned on. He was on another guy that mission. sort of held sort of held steady. Yeah. yeah. Um, he didn't really have a great year, but mm-hmm. I didn't expect him to just blow people away this year either. I mean, he's still uh, definitely a work in progress. I mean, when the Twins took him, I think the expectation was it was going to take a while. I mean, kind of, you know, when they took Buxton, Buxton didn't just tear it up his first no. year in pro ball either. I mean, some of these guys very few guys yeah, really do yeah honestly. it's hard to hard to expect high schoolers yeah, to just high school enter guys. pro ball and just really hit the ground running exactly one more guy i wanted to ask you about before we uh, move on great our latest hip-hop group uh the rough riders <laughs> ride or die um big faller for you on the pitching side dylan bundy i mean the top 10 guy for you coming in but um you know it's kind of been a, a pattern for this guy over several years now and Looking at you know a wide range of potentials for your next update, but a guy who you know may find himself on the outside looking in at the top two hundred. Yeah, I just I, I said approximate current rank as fifty to unranked, which just kind of shows how big 
of a gap there is. Like some days I want to rank him in the 50s. Some days I want to rank him outside the top 200. Like I just have no idea how to yeah. evaluate a guy like that. That's got I, – I just – you know, he's got – he had two – plus plus pitches a, a plus i mean he, he was his repertoire was just so stacked before the injury uh the injuries started piling up uh, really don't know what i'd do if i owned him in a dynasty league right now like if it was you know like our staff keeper league format i think is a perfect example like if i owned him and, and he was in one of my minor league spots right now and we only you know technically only around 150 minor leaguers are rostered in that league would you keep him and, you know, have that take up a minor league spot heading into the draft or would you throw him back? Like, I, I really don't yeah. know if there's That's a good answer tough. to that. And and he's, uh, I believe he's out of options. So wow, really? that really complicates things heading into, into 2016. Uh, they kind of have to keep him uh, on the team and – I don't think that's good for his development at all. Like, I don't think he should he should start the year probably at double A if he's all all clear to to be throwing and everything. But I don't I don't think that that's going to be an option for them. So, really, kind of convolutes things, and you w- you wonder if maybe I, this would just be terrible in my opinion. But you wonder if maybe he gets converted to a reliever at some point. Yeah, that's tough. And I mean, easy to to put the blame on the Orioles with how they've handed handled him and Gaussman. Yeah. But uh, I think that's deserved. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. It seems like, yeah, it's the easy shot to take, but it, they really do deserve uh, and I, quite a bit of blame. And I, I, it's so, this is like the most hindsight 2020 thing of all time. Um, but I wonder back to, to when they made him ditch his, his cutter uh, after they drafted him to, to start working on developing his other pitches. I mean, that was – that it, it was, you know, 70, maybe even an 80-grade pitch. And they made him kind of cast that aside to work on his other stuff, and then that's sort of when the injuries started to happen, and, and I just don't know. It seems like they were trying to – they were taking a guy who had basically the floor of, like, a good number three starter – you know, as a 19, as an 18 or 19 year old, and they tried to turn it into like something better than that. And it's, it's sort of like, just let the guy yeah. do his thing. I mean, he's got all these great pitches, uh, you know, how many starting pitchers enter the big leagues with, you know, the type of changeup that they're going to leave, you know, that they're going to have like five years down the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys can develop pitches once they're in the big leagues. Like you don't have to have a guy be a, finished product when he makes his big league debut it just sort of seems like they tinkered with something that really didn't need fixing at all and then everything started to unravel yeah that's a that's a real shame and maybe a case of them just like being getting greedy yeah it really is yeah you know that's a damn shame but hopefully you know i'm rooting for him but i'm with you i'm kind of not expecting a whole lot heading Mm -hmm. into next season but that'll do it for the prospect portion of the show grading out our latest hip-hop group on the 20 to 80 scale the five tools we have established for grading out hip-hop groups lyricism flow longevity impact and swag then we'll give out an overall grade doing rough riders this time around it was a uh, record label rough riders entertainment uh formed by actually the uncles of swiss beats i'm seeing now uh (laughs) but really focusing more on the group the, the late 90s uh, compilation albums they had. I mean, it was it was basically like DMX's 
yeah. Def Jam posse kind of, mm. you know, like he drag on. He, e. he came out with It's Dark and, and Hell is Hot, uh, classic album. And then, you know, as every rapper of that era needed, they, they yeah. surrounded him with lesser <laughs> rappers to release uh, collabo albums yeah. with. And that get like came the two DMX verses. Yeah. And then just sell. I yeah. mean, they just yeah. needed need to capitalize on, on DMX's popularity there. Uh, the Locks was Beats, All Members, Eve. Drag on, young one. Yeah, young one. Can't forget him. Rough Riders, Ride or Die, Volume One and Two. Really, the ones uh, I gave a lot of spin. There was a third one, right? I didn't really yeah. listen to that one a lot. Uh, I only listen. There might have. I think there actually was a fourth one too. I didn't. I never listened to the fourth one. Uh, you're right. Uh, I, I, g- I gave the most spins to number two. Uh, easily second most spins to number one. Gave some some to number three. Uh, but they really, I think they kind of peaked at, at number two. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And this is a situation, I mean, now defunct, you know, of course. Now, but as they should be. Uh, as most of these <laughs> groups, we have, yeah, they definitely deserve. Uh, World War Three. yeah, Rider Die Volume 2 is pretty good. But we'll get into the individual grades here. and And hard to really... Like with all groups, you know, we, the individual members range across the board with a lot of these. This one especially tough because it wasn't really a a group in the sense that some of these other groups were. Like yeah, they didn't like. Well, they did tour together, I guess. You know, like with the uh, with like Wu Tang or or N.W.A. I mean, they had solo careers, but the group was the key. Whereas yeah. I feel like this was almost sort of the other way around, yeah. where like it was just some some artists that got kind of jammed in like a a booth together and just had to yeah. make make songs universal said put out an album we, we <laughs> well, need you we need it's, dmx it's time for another album <laughs> we need dmx's name on something to sell right now but for lyricism again you can make a case for some of these guys to range across the spectrum here but uh 30 for me i mean low <laughs> low grade uh you know aside from a couple lyrics on, maybe like on world war one or world war three sorry uh down bottom, possibly. Uh, not really any lyrics that that stand out as being, uh, you know, making me say, hey, uh, you know, that was clever, that was entertaining. It was more so just, it was more flow for me, uh, pretty much with every member. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, j- I had a, I had it as a 40. I just changed it to a 30. I, <laughs> I felt foolish with that 40 hanging out there. Uh, they were not great lyricists any of them really i mean even jada was all right i guess oh right 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 okay you can count i guess you can count yeah you can count jadakiss uh but so jadakiss the best lyricist in the group like dmx was the star of the group and if we were just grading out dmx i would say that his lyrics grade would be by far his lowest grade as a individual rapper so i mean that that was kind of the the style that the group ended up embodying yeah and i think drag on in that same boat too lyrics were trash but the flow was pretty <laughs> sweet i mean the flow got your head bopping uh, and that's why i have a 60 on flow plus they really they're only plus grade for me uh yeah i mean cheek luch styles p uh, all the locks and and drag on even eve i mean had had some flow covered up for the lack of uh content i guess you could say <laughs> in the in the lyric um i give them a 50 and it's it's kind of it's more of a song by song uh basis for yeah. me where I think there there were some songs where the flow 
may have even reached like 70 grade levels and mm -hmm. then there were other songs where the flow was probably uh, below replacement level so um <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i think uh you know 50 is a good way to kind of kind of couch that uh definitely you know songs like uh twisted heat Ooh, uh great track you know what, yeah world war three uh some of the songs that were just very locks heavy i mean locks is flow just as a group ha is is excellent mm -hmm. in my opinion uh the the songs where it was like you know one member of the locks then dmx then drag on then you know swiss beats yelling stuff and the the hook like i mean those were the ones where the flow kind of took a hit yeah, I'd agree there. If you were to give Young Juan a flow grade, <laughs> I mean, very short um, career, but I'd I'm a big fan of uh, Young Juan's <laughs> best work. Um, yeah. I I mean, I'd say I, he's maybe pushing sixty five. Like yeah, 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 something like that in terms of yeah, you know, lyricism probably give him like a a thirty. Uh, longevity give him like a twenty. Impact a twenty swag maybe like a 55 and a 65 flow yeah that, that's the <laughs> definition of a 20 long <laughs> yeah, young one, yeah. for sure easy 20 he's like billy butler's speed <laughs> that's a very good comp right there uh but longevity as a whole uh, i'm gonna say 40 kind of like with d12 the fact that they had you know three studio releases mm -hmm. that alone has to has to push them up there uh to the 40s even though uh, again, after the first two, I was I was out. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I gave him a forty as well. Just you can't go lower than a forty, and there's no way I was going higher than a forty. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of by default. Impact. I mean, very little impact in the. I think you know among artists, but I think as far as industry goes, uh, this kind of did set a bar. I'm gonna actually bump my grade up to forty here. I had a thirty, but thinking about it. Um, it did kind of set a precedent as far as, you know, record labels, like I said, taking the one, you know, star guy they have on the label and then put it surrounding him with people and then, you know, releasing a kind of watered down album, kind of like Rock La Familia, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. to a, a bigger um, extent. But I wonder if there was more kind of, I, I feel like they were sort of stealing sort of from the uh, Master P No Limit kind of kind style of, yeah. uh yeah i don't know There's yeah collab album yeah it's hard to say which which of these groups kind of hit first although you might be right rough riders was definitely uh one of the bigger kind of explosions i guess in that in that sort of success mm -hmm. uh i give him a 35 just just because yeah i mean i i feel like that was sort of gonna happen one way or another and it's it's hard to kind of tie that back directly to them uh, I do think there were uh, some some kind of influences in terms of they they were getting kind of a, a really wide array of of guest spots on those yeah they were you know like you get like Method Man and Scarface, Scarface and Snoop Dogg and yeah. uh, just kind of all over the map I think that 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 was kind of uh, cool I mean I think there were definitely people listening to the Rough Riders albums in in every part of the the country during their their peak. Yeah, I thought of some other examples uh, of just, you know, groups that were releasing albums that really had no business doing it. It's just a cash grab, really, realistically. Flip Mode Squad with Buster <laughs> Rhymes. Whoa, I got to add that to this spreadsheet. Oh, that one was terrible. But uh, the Eastsiders, remember oh, that? That yeah. was like Snoop's yeah, yeah, yeah. group? Well, that was like 
that was like uh, Tupac and the Outlaws kind of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, definitely didn't start with uh, the Rough Riders, but I think they kind of brought it back to a certain. I think. Well, like I think the East Siders were like a a, a wannabe group, like, and then Snoop Dogg. Somehow, what did they have on Snoop Dogg yeah. that got him to like agree to make a record with them? <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. <laughs> did that like did they get him off that like murder charge? Or something? Yeah, or like were they just? Yeah, I, I don't know. There had to be something going on behind the scenes for him to allow them to to share a, a record cover with him. <laughs> one one group we should add is the West Side Connection. I they're on. The, oh, are they on there? On okay, there. Yeah, yeah. Swag, forty young one propping it up. Uh, drag on bringing it down but uh, i think 40 is kind of you know towing the line not going out on, on much of a limb here but uh you know not not a plus grade for me i gave him uh 50 you know solid average uh they they kind of all sort of embodied sort of the same kind of swag uh with the you know the black tees and the the white uh, rough rider symbol i also kind of the symbol the rough rider symbol sort of impacted my grade on this a little bit because Back in the late 90s, you know, if you were to see some one of those, like, say, stands like in the mall where they were selling, yeah. you know, chains and stuff, uh, the Rough Riders are. symbol was, you know, if not everywhere. at the top, it was it was near the top in terms of popularity. I think that was kind of a, a big uh a big logo in, in hip hop in that time. It really so, I was, mean, you know, I think it's like the that, cash money. Scene, yeah. Yeah, kinda. exactly. So, uh, gave him a 50 there. Overlooked a little bit. I got overall at a 45, uh, you know, one of the lower marks probably that I've given really probably your third lowest, ahead uh, yeah. of uh, D 12 and terror squad. Yeah. And that, that's the same for me. I gave him a yeah. 40. I didn't want him to be a 45 because then I felt they were creeping a little too close to groups like bone thugs, yeah, uh, definitely not on that level. So you know, I thought forty was good for me. Yeah, I had Bone Thugs at fifty-five, so I think a, a 10, 10 point yeah. gap there is yeah. about right. Well, thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Let us know uh, what groups you want us to grade in, in future weeks. James is at Real Jr. Anderson. I'm at Clay W. Link. We'll be back with you next week. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.